Okay. We are going to start a series today just called Relationship Status. Um, We've kind of taken a break from our series on Exodus Journey. We're going to be starting that up again in two weeks, um, continuing through the book of Exodus, um, leading up to the giving of the Ten Commandments. And so every year or so, we try and do some sort of relationship series as a church. And um, this idea just, just kept coming to mind of what is your relationship status. And social media um, and online dating apps have really um, revolutionized, either positive or negatively, the way um, that we do dating and relationship. And so, how many of you had a MySpace account before? MySpace. Um, MySpace was really, where was that? How many of you met on MySpace? Anybody meet on MySpace? Tim and Kara, did you guys meet on MySpace? No? Okay. Okay. All right. Got it. While while you were listening to Avril Lavigne, you found each other on MySpace. So, yeah, MySpace was great. Um, You could have, like, a song that played when you went on. Um, You could have, like, your top five friends. MySpace was where it was really, it all began. And um, that kind of evolved into, you know, bigger and better and more controlling things like uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all sorts of stuff. And so when we um, stalk people, I mean, when we look at people um, (laughs) on social media, I always want to know, like, are they in a relationship? What's their relationship status? And a lot of times as a pastor, I will, like, know that people are, are dating, like, before they know that they're dating. And I'll watch that status to see uh, if it changes over. And, and sometimes there's, like, this blatantly obvious relationship that will be going on forever. And then finally, you know, after a lot of pressure from usually the girl, the guy will uh, change his status over to um, the coveted in a relationship. And then all of social media worships and praises, like... <laughs> Yes, finally. And then, then it's awkward when they break up. Um, because then you, there's not usually a post about that unless it's a really bad rant. And um, if you don't want posts about that. And so there's a lot of different kinds of relational statuses uh, that, that we have. And those relational statuses, there, there's many, but a couple of them are just being single, dating in a relationship, kind of the same. Uh, maybe engaged married, separated, divorced, uh, widowed, and the ever-popular, it is complicated. And when things are complicated, it should say it's very complicated. And things sometimes are complicated. And oftentimes, well, every time, marriage is complicated. Being engaged is complicated. Being single is complicated. Every relationship status is actually pretty complicated. So um, we're going to go over a couple things the next two weeks, and this is not enough time to, to give this justice. And so I've got some notes, and I'm just going to pray that we get through today what God would want us to, and then we'll continue next week. But I want to make a couple of uh, prefaces here real quick. Um, when you talk about love and relationships and sex, and when you talk about it in a biblical way, if you talk about it in a way that would bring glory and honor to God, sometimes with that, as you hear a pastor talk or preach about these things, as you hear a church bring these things up, you might feel um, condemnation, like, oh, this, what, what the pastor is talking about is me, and so I'm feeling condemned, and I'm going to just kind of slump in my seat so that that I, no one knows I exist. And I just want to be extraordinarily clear. That is, that's not the purpose of this. Uh, the purpose of this is to just simply look at God's words. And say, this is what it says about these situations. And when we declare and when we read the word of God, and when we talk about what the word of God says, to do what God's word says is always for God's glory, but it's also for our good. And so if you hear something that said that's like, oh, I'm not living up to this standard, ask yourself, first of all, um, do I know Jesus? Am I in a relationship with Jesus? That's the most important relationship status I can have is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. So am I in a relationship with Jesus? And if I am, if I am feeling like I'm not meeting the standards, then what I'm experiencing is conviction. 
And God is using that conviction to draw me closer to him so that the relationships I draw close to in this life will be the best that they can be. But if you would ask yourself the question, you know, do I know Jesus? And your answer is, you know, no, or I'm not sure. Then everything we're talking about the next couple weeks means nothing unless you're in relationship with Jesus. And so you might feel um, conviction or even condemnation like, oh, I'm just kind of burdened with the weight of my own sin because of my relationships. Then once again, no, there's no judgment or condemnation on you from the church, from Christianity, uh, from a pastor. But listen to the Holy Spirit and ask God if he's calling you into relationship with him and then get into a relationship with Christ. And Jesus, that's what he did as he walked the earth, as he invited people into relationship with him. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me, he would say. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. Um, He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father, into relationship with the Father, but through me. And so Jesus gives us an invitation to relationship with him, not just merely uh, religion or obedience or adherence to the law, but Jesus the creator of the heavens and the earth, wants relationship with his creation. And and so if you're here, and if you don't know Jesus, if you're not in a relationship with him, he he wants relationship with you um, incredibly. I always said incredibly bad, but it's not bad. Incredibly good, he wants relationship with you. So he, he came, he lived, he died, he rose again. The Bible says he endured the cross for the joy set before him, and the joy set before him is literally you. It is relationship with you, and even though we have cheated on God in relationship with him, we have strayed from him, we have abandoned him, we have committed acts of treason against him, he still calls us to belong to him. He redeems us, forgives us, pours on us mercy and grace and forgiveness, and he saves us from ourselves so that we can be in the ultimate relationship which brings him glory and brings our good. And so if you hear anything today, this relationship advice means nothing unless it's about a relationship with Jesus. That's why we're here. But with relationship with Jesus, it always involves relationships with other people. You can't have a relationship with Jesus without having relationship with people. And some people avoid people, and they'll say things like, I don't like church because church has people in it, but I like Jesus. And Jesus is like, hold up, that's my bride. That, that's my body. It's the church. And so if, if you are in relationship with me, then you're in relationship with her. And so if you're in relationship with Jesus, whether you like it or not, you're in relationship with Jesus' people, and they're your brothers and sisters that you'll spend eternity with. And so we have to do relationship right, not just friendship, but also romantic relationship because within the church and within our life of relationship with Jesus, most of us at some point in our life will find ourselves in what we would call a a romantic relationship. And we want to make sure that those relationships are bringing God glory, and we want to make sure that those relationships are for our good. And a lot of people are in relationships that are not good for you. And so you need to be listening to the Holy Spirit and ask him, is the conviction I'm feeling because he's actually drawing me away from a relationship I should not be in, and he's drawing me toward a closer relationship with him. And so relationships are complicated. And I would even say from a human perspective, not from God's perspective, but a human perspective, relationships with God are complicated because we make it far more complicated than it should be or that it needs to be. So we're going to start off with um, Genesis chapter 1 today, and we're going to be looking at something we've talked about probably three times over the last year, and we're going to drive home really our second most important point of this message series beyond a relationship with Jesus, and that's just looking at the creation account. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we read of the creation account of mankind, and in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God creates man in his image. That is the description that we are given to do in this world, a job description, if you will, to image, to reflect God amongst his creation, and to steward and rule over his creation as he rules over us. We are God's kind of vice regents or representatives on this planet. 
And so when he makes us, he makes us. When he makes us, he doesn't make Adam. He doesn't make male. He makes us. It says male and female, he created, and in our context, he created us. And so up to this point in this creation narrative, God is declaring everything he makes to be good. It's good, 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 it's good. But it was after the creation of Adam by himself, as God brings before Adam the animals to be named by him, where Adam recognizes that there is not a helper that is fit for him. And so he sees all of these pairs of animals, but for Adam there was no pair, it was just him. And God makes the statement about Adam in this state after he had just said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He said, it is not good. God says, it is not good that man should be alone. And so God makes for Adam what Genesis 1 and 2 calls a suitable helper. Now, if you are a a woman, you might look at that and say, well, that's sexist, that is chauvinistic. That is toxic masculinity. I'm not just simply a helper, and you're right. You're not just simply a helper. You see, the word used in Genesis for helper is the same word used for God in Scripture where it says God is our helper. And so if God is our helper and if women are our helpers in humanity, that means we need women. It also implies that men need help. <laughs> and, that, it's, and that's funny, but it's, it's literally not a joke. Like, What if Eve was made first? Would the woman need help? I would propose probably not. But Adam needed help. And this was not just an afterthought for God. It was not just like, oh, I'm going to make man. Oh, wow, he's alone. I'm surprised. You see, God does everything for a purpose and a reason. And God puts Adam in this garden, places in there by himself so that he could recognize that it was not good for him to be alone He needed to have companionship beyond just the companionship between he and God and he and the rest of God's creation. And so at this point of the completion of creation, one thing I really never noticed until I was studying this week is that literally the last thing that God created on earth was women. He went and saved the best for last. He made women last. Literally saved the best part of creation for last. And then it's this point, at the end of his creation, before God rests on the seventh day, it says that his creation, now including the woman, the wife, the mother of all, Eve, would call creation very good. So everything was good up to this point. With just Adam, it was not good. But with woman, it was very good. And so this is the point we're getting at today is this, is that Humanity is not human without relationship. Humanity is not humanity outside of relationship. Humanity is not complete without both men and women. Humanity is not complete without both women and men. We need men and women in our lives and in our communities and in our churches to be fully and completely human. Can you imagine a a world of all men? Can you imagine it for a minute? Can you imagine a world with all women? What would be best? I don't know. I don't want to go there. (laughs) You determine where you'd like to be. But humanity wouldn't be humanity if, if the planet was just filled with men alone. Humanity would not be humanity if the planet was just filled with women alone. You see, men and women are each created in the image of God, and men and women are equal before God in value and in worth. Humanity does not completely image or reflect God as intended without both men and women. We need men, we need women. We need women, we need men. And we don't adequately or fully image God without communities filled with both. And I am concerned with the direction that our culture is going in that basically um, takes all separation between men and women and says that really everyone is the same. 
It's like we just woke up after 10,000 or so years of human history and said, but men and women are exactly the same. But in your lifetime, you've recognized men and women are radically different. They're very different than one another, but they're both human. Both men and women have the same value before God. Both men and women have the same worth before God. Both men and women are humans that Jesus Christ died for. Jesus Christ would have died for both a man and or a woman or the entire human race, which he did. We need men and women, but there are differences between men and women. Men image God in ways that women do not and cannot. And women image and reflect God in ways that men do not and cannot. Men and women are different. They each have unique roles to play within society, within humanity, within the family, and within the church. Men and women are just different. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone needs to be married. This does not mean that a man can only image God if he's married to a woman. And it doesn't mean that a woman can only image God if she's married to a man. Because this is sadly what the church has done and what Western culture has done and what humanity has been doing for generations of civilization is that we have put so much value and worth on being married that people who are single for a season or are called to be single for their lifetime feel as though they are lesser than people who are married. People who are single, divorced, widowed, they feel as though they are not fully human and if we're not careful, as a society, as a culture, and even a church, we can almost inaccurately send the message that unless you get married, you're not really complete. And so, women, you need a man to complete you. Or men, you, you need a woman to complete you. And, and we all do it. We'll, we'll talk to people after seeing them at Christmas. We haven't seen them in a year like, are you dating anybody? Are you in a relationship yet? And I do that, you probably do that, but think about it for a minute. We're kind of dehumanizing them. We're kind of saying that, like, you don't really get to sit at the adult table unless you're in a relationship. You don't get to do this unless you are in a relationship. So here's what this whole thing means. It means that to fully image God, to fully image God, Humanity needs to be in communities and relationships of both men and women. So we need women in our communities. We need men in our communities. And if you're not called to be married, if you don't want to get married, you still need to be in relationship with people of the opposite sex. You still need to work with people of the opposite sex. You still need to talk to people of the opposite sex. You still need to attend churches where there are people of the opposite sex. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be in a sexual, romantic, committed, married, dating relationship. It just means you need each other. And so if you just hang out only with men or just with women, you're going to be missing the fullness of what God has called humanity to be, and God has called humanity to be male and female. And so if you do get married, and I was looking to see, like, how many people have been married? What is the percentage of people alive in America today that have been married at least once, and the percentage is 72%. So 72% of all people in America that are adults have been married at one point or another. Now, it doesn't take into account people who have just been in uh, sexual, romantic relationship. It doesn't take into account people who are living together but are not legally married, but over 72% of American adults have been married. We also know that God did create men and women to enter into marriage and to raise families. Not everyone will. We don't have to, but it's, it's one of the core reasons why God created us was to be fruitful and multiply. And so those who find themselves married, about 72% of us, what we learn is that marriage is a unique way 
to express the image of God. It's not the only way to express the image of God, but it is a unique way to express the image of God because it reflects God's relationship in and of himself. God has existed forever and always, co-equal in power and authority as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in perfect perpetual relationship with one another. Marriage is also a unique way that reflects the relationship between Jesus and his church. Paul says that's this great mystery. And so am I saying today, like, hey, guys, don't get married. No, I'm saying marriage is a unique way to express your humanity because two become one through a loving, sacrificial, monogamous, sexual, lifelong committed relationship between husband and wife. So marriage is good. The Bible says those who marry find favor from the Lord. Now, that doesn't say that those who don't marry don't have favor from the Lord. But it just says those who marry do find favor with the Lord. And so marriage is good. Marriage is instituted and created by God. Marriage can be very beneficial in your life. But what about single people? What about the single people? Well, number one, single people have no less value or worth than married people. We clarified that earlier. But if you're single, you have the same value in community, in the church, in your workplace. You have the same value um, under God. You have the same worth as anybody who would actually be married. We understand that people who are single have valuable benefits to being single. And that people who are married have valuable benefits to being married. For those of you who are single, would you agree, like, there are some valuable benefits to this? And if you say amen and look around, you can find out who's single. And there I go, perpetuating the problem again, right? But, I mean, single people have, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to worry about pleasing your your wife or your husband. If you want to eat cereal for dinner at 3 p.m., you can If you want to eat three-day-old pizza at 2 a.m. for breakfast, you can. You don't have to worry about what the other person needs or wants. So each have their unique and valuable benefits. But for people who are married, someone's spouse is very valuable to them. And to be married is actually a unique way to know your value, but it's not the only way to know your value. So we've established, very very much so, men and women are different. But just like men and women are different and equal in value and worth before God and to each other, so too are married men equal in value and worth to single men and have the same standing before God. So too are single women having the same value and worth as married women. Each have different roles to play in our societies, in our communities, in our churches. But they have various roles that they will play, whether they're married or they're single. And so, this is where we we start to take the dive into what do we do with these relationship statuses? Where do we go from here? Well, first of all, the most important thing was what? You need, you must have, you you are encouraged, it's so much better to have relationship with Jesus than to not. Relationship with Jesus is what you were made for. And so if there is any relationship status, may it be with Jesus. Jesus is the relationship that you must have. And if you are a human, which I believe we all are, if you are a human, you are made as males and females. You are different but you are equal in value and worth before God, and single and married people are no different in the eyes of God, and single people ought to be treated very well. But what are some of the roles, what are some of these responsibilities that both married and and single people and the different statuses that we are in in life, what are the different roles that we need to be aware of? Well, let's look at a couple of them. And over the course of the next two weeks, I'm going to make some little um, infographics that you can take to look at how you should be walking biblically in these roles that you're in, because it's hard to encompass them just in a simple teaching. 
But let's look at what it means to be single. What it means to be single. Here's a definition I wrote down. Single means you're not dating. Single means you are not in a defined relationship. Single means you're not in a sexual relationship with anyone. And the world has skewed that almost completely. The world has says, the world says you, you can be in sexual relationships with people you're not in relationship with. But sexual relationships are the most intimate physical relationships, and God has designed them to be permanent and lasting within a committed relationship between men and women. And so how can you not be in a relationship if you're in a sexual relationship? You're, you're trying to take something that is permanent and make it impermanent and invaluable and, and treating yourself like you are not valuable before God or before the person you may be in a relationship with. And you say, well, we're not in a relationship. We're just having sex. That's a relationship. You are not single if you're having sex with people. You might actually be in relationships with, with many people. Number two, what does it mean to be dating? Dating means you're not doing the things mentioned above. Dating means that you are literally in a relationship. Dating means that you're in a defined relationship. Dating means that um, you may be in a sexual relationship with someone. You are, by very definition, in a relationship. Your status on whatever social media profile or dating app you have, it might say you're single, but if you're engaged in the things above, you are not single at all. And you are misleading those who are looking at your life from afar. Being engaged. What does it mean to be engaged? It means you're paying close attention. You're engaged. It means you're being engaged to be married. To be engaged means that someone has asked you to marry them. Literally, someone has asked you to marry them. It means you have a ring. And it means that there is a plan to get married. Oftentimes, people will be engaged, and you'll be like, well, awesome, when are you getting married? They're like, well, we're not worried about that. Well, you're not really engaged then. So to be engaged means that you're going, you have plans to get married to someone. Number four. You're married. Say, Pastor, what does it mean to be married? Oh, that's very complicated. <laughs> to be married means you have made covenantal vows before God and before others. To be married means that you have a marriage license. To be married means that everyone knows about it. Hey, don't tell anybody that we're married. Well, what the heck? Why not? You ever have somebody you worked with before, and, like, they never talked about someone, and you go to that Christmas party, like, this is my husband, and you're like, you're married? <laughs> Marriage means that people know you're married. It also means you're not married in your heart. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as being married in your heart to someone. You are married because you've made a commitment before God and before people. Everyone knows, and you have a marriage license. That means that you are married and the heart is desperately sick, it is wicked, and you're not married in your heart. You're married in reality. Number five, separated. What's it mean to be separated? Well, that's pretty complicated too, but separated means you are legally married, and you're apart for a time to determine if the marriage can be restored. And if so, you take steps to make the marriage work. It's a single, dating, engaged, married, separated, divorce. What does divorce mean? Divorce means you have filed for a divorce. It means that the divorce is, is finalized. You, you no longer are married to the other person. And I is skipping ahead. I was looking at statistics on divorce. It's right about 50% of all first marriages end in divorce. But when you get to a second marriage, 67% of second marriages end a divorce. So if you marry, get divorced, and get remarried again, 67% of all second marriages end in divorce. You get to the third marriage, it's 74% end in divorce. It doesn't mean there's no grace. It doesn't mean that you can't do things differently this time, but it means relationships are incredibly complicated. Second to last, you are a widow. What does it mean to be a, a widow or a widower? It means that your spouse has died. 
and it means that currently you're, you're single, and this is a difficult place to be in, to, to readjust to life, knowing that the person you had been one flesh with for so long, now it's different, but yet you still love them because 1 Corinthians 13 says love lasts forever. And then finally, uh, it's complicated. Kind of that last status, it's complicated. And, and this is not the Bible, but my own definition I wrote down here, I wrote, no, it's not. <laughs> it means one of you is not in a relationship. There's no such thing as a complicated relationship. It means that it's not a relationship. And it's usually one party that is not in that relationship. You're in a relationship or you're not. And if you are in a relationship and the person you say you're in a complicated relationship with is not, then you are just not in a relationship. It's not really complicated at all. You've made it complicated. The other person is, is just not being the best of people. So what do, what do we do with all this stuff? So over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking through a passage in 1 Corinthians that addresses literally all of these relationship statuses, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm going to give you just a snapshot of 1 Corinthians 7 today, um, and we're going to dig deep next week, because I don't feel we should go too deep today. I think we need to sit on the fact that single and married people are equal in value and worth before God. That's where I'd like us to rest today. But 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he had planted in a city named Corinth in Greece. It's still there today. Beautiful city. But Corinth was incredibly messed up. Corinth was a, a city of extreme sexual sin. Corinth was a city that was built around idolatry and idol worship. So much so that in the city, there was a temple to idols. And when people would go to worship at the temple of these idols, one way they would worship is by engaging in sexual activity with a temple prostitute, and they called it worship. They tried to separate relationship and tried to make it into something religious and idolatrous and removing the permanency of what God called to be permanent and locked together in him and made it something detestable. And so when Paul goes into the city of Corinth and he starts preaching of salvation by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it really shook things up within this community. And the church was filled with people who had lived in this sexual perversion their entire lives. And so within the church, Paul had to say things like, hey, now that Jesus has redeemed you, now that you have been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, he says, you're to honor God with your body. And he literally goes on to say, you can't honor God with your body when you're engaging in sex with a prostitute. It, it, it doesn't make sense. That's not how you honor God. You honor God with your body through the type of relationships that God has ordained for people to be in. And that relationship sexually is relationship between husband and wife for life. And so when you try to separate that and make it into something else, he's like, that, this is not the way of Jesus. And not just to get crazy, but Corinthians is crazy. If you've, if you've read it, you know. But there was a guy within the church who was sleeping with, at the, at the best, his stepmom. At the worst, with his actual mother. And the church was like, this is beautiful. This is a wonderful sexual relationship between a man and his mom. That's the Bible. And Paul's like, guys... This is not the way of Jesus either. In fact, even the pagans in our city think this is gross. And so you ought to follow Jesus. And so 1 Corinthians is just diving into a completely sexual, debased culture. And Paul is saying, guys, God is much better than you think. God is for you. God receives glory when you honor him with your body. And you actually receive good and if you want to live your best life, if you want to have the best kind of relationships you can have, 
Those kind of relationships only come when Jesus is your primary source of relationship. And from the love you receive from him, you can love properly the communities you are in, including properly loving uh, your spouse, including doing what you should be doing with other single people if you are single, and that's honoring them and honoring their bodies and honoring their commitment to God. So Corinthians is a response to questions that people asked Paul. And the question that 1 Corinthians 7 in particular addresses is this. As Christians, because this is also new to us, is it okay to get married? Specifically, they were very excited about Jesus returning. And they're like, maybe Jesus will come back tomorrow. Wouldn't that be great, by the way? Now is like the this is a good time, Jesus. Come on now. <laughs> Here's the landing strip. Come on. They're like, what if Jesus comes back tomorrow? Should we still get married? And Paul's like, okay, let's spend a chapter addressing that. And let's talk about whether or not you should get married. Let's talk about whether or not you should stay single. Let's talk about what do you do if you're a widow? Let's talk about divorce. Let's talk about complicated relationships. Let's talk about being engaged. It's all in 1 Corinthians 7. It's all there. He says, this is how we are to live and to conduct ourselves. We are to conduct ourselves in this way to honor Jesus and to bring about our good. So I'm going to close this out today with just a glimpse at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the chapter before. Paul addressing all of these situations. He says this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 through 20. He says this to the people who were steeped in sexual debased society. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Run from sexual immorality. Well, sexual immorality is basically relative to the society you live in, right? So we have to ask ourselves, what is sexually inappropriate in our society? And we just won't do that. That's not the biblical view of sexuality. Sexual immorality is literally here in Greek. It means anything outside of the bounds of a committed, married, covenantal relationship between one husband and one wife in one marriage for one life. So he says, flee from anything else. If it's sexual and it's something else, run from it. And the society would have been saying, but this is all we know. And the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, is like, I know, but I, but I know something better for you. I have something better in store for you than, than sexual immorality. And they would have said, but, but it, it feels good. I, I feel loved. And the Holy Spirit through Paul is here is like, but you might feel good, but I've got something gooder for you. I, I have something that it's how it's supposed to be. So he says, flee from it. And so the people within Corinth are like, but even this, even this, even this? And Paul's like, is it about husbands and wives? And they're like, well, not exactly. It's in our heart. He's like, flee from it. Well, anytime the word well is involved, flee from it. What about, nah, flee, run. Is flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, in saying this, it is sinning against someone else's body. Like King David said, it's against God and God alone who we sin against. But here, Paul says, when you do this, you're actually sinning against your own body because God has something better for you. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? He says, you're not your own. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. Well, what price was it, Paul? Well, it was the life, the death, the blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And if he so willingly laid down his life for you, 
on a Roman executioner's cross, bearing the wrath of the Father for your sins, sexual and non-sexual sins, then out of love and out of worship and out of a desire to please him, you need to honor God with your body. And if that's hard for you, which he's saying it is hard for you, just, just run. Get away because it's a trap. And you will be connected to things that you are not supposed to be connected to because God has something better in place for you. And what God has for you in relationship, if you do choose to be married, we find at the end of Genesis chapter 2, it says that Adam and Eve, the husband and wife, were both naked with no shame. They were naked with no shame before one another and before God. And that is the goal of human relationship. Hebrew scholars call this shalom. It's peace. This is where we ought to be with nothing in between, with nothing to hide behind, with no leaves to cover up with in front of our husband and our wife, but just to have no shame and to have this open, authentic, trusting relationship. And when we do fail each other, which we do and we will, we repair those relationships when they fall apart. So you were bought with a price. Honor God with your body. I'm like, Pastor, I thought this was going to be about relationship. Oh, it is. But let's get this right first. Let's honor God with our body because by honoring God with our body, we are honoring God in relationship. And by honoring God in relationship, we are honoring God with our body as well. So I'm going to ask our band to come up. We're going to close in time of worship and communion. I was sharing with my, um, my friends, Joel and Melinda, fresh, fresh hour last night. I was like, you know, I don't know exactly where we're going to go tomorrow. I've got, like, 11 pages of notes, but I, I'm listening to the Spirit, and now he's just saying, stop here. Stop here. Stop here. Stop here to make sure our hearts are right before the Lord. Stop here to make sure that we have relationship with Christ. And if you enter into relationship with Christ, you are not handed a list of don'ts. Okay, now that you're in a relationship with Jesus, don't do this. Because people will often say, well, if I start relationship with Jesus, then I won't be able to do these things. But there's something much more beautiful than that. When you start a relationship with Jesus, he saves you from those things. When you start a relationship with Jesus, he calls you to something greater than those things. And the beautiful thing is that when you start a relationship with Jesus, it's not that you don't get to do those things anymore, it's that you don't have to because you're free. You're free from sin. You're free from hell. You're free from death. And because you recognize you're free in relationship with Christ, your desire is to please him. But that's why Paul says in another one of his letters, he's like, but even though my desire is to please God, he says, I still do the things I hate. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And Paul says, I'm just, I'm a wretched man that I do these things. And he says, what will save me from this life? And in a snapshot, he just says, Jesus will. Jesus saves me from this life where I don't have to do those things anymore because the Holy Spirit is within me. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I am empowered and equipped to do what God calls me to do, even be in right standing before God, even be in right standing in my relationships with my husband, with my wife, with my boyfriend, with my girlfriend, with my fiance, with my ex-husband, with my ex-wife. Whatever the relationship status is, a relationship with Jesus can make it right. So... Let me bow your heads. We'll pray. We'll get ready to sing. Single people. You don't have to get married. And if you don't want to get married, you don't need to get married. You have equal value in the body of Christ just as much as a married person does. You are not complete when you find a spouse. You're complete in relationship with Christ. 
the, like the movie Jerry Maguire where this, this girl tells Tom Cruise, you complete me. Tom Cruise doesn't complete anybody, by the way. Guy's a we- weird guy. Um, but you don't, that movie's toxic. Because it, what it, it's telling women, you need a man to be worthy. It's telling a woman that you, you need to be in a relationship in order to really be a woman. But that's not true. You need to be in a relationship with Jesus to truly live out your manhood or your womanhood. A relationship with God is what you need, not with Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise, or anybody else. You need a relationship with Jesus. So don't ever feel bad about being single. Don't ever feel lesser than about being single. And if somebody ever tries to make you feel less than them because you're single and they're married, remind them how much better your life is. Remind them about the cereal for dinner. Remind them about how you can come and go as you please. And there's great things about marriage, don't get me wrong, but single people, there's some great things about it. And if you're married, please, if we could be a church that that is for single people, that'd be wonderful. Meaning if you're married, do not look down on single people. Treat them as they are. People. Not single people, but just people. They're not less complete because they don't have a husband like you do. They're, they're complete in Christ. They're whole in Christ. And married or single, whatever, you still need to be in a relationship with men and women. And so this is a church of men and, and women. It'd be weird to go to like a guys-only or a girls-only church. That would be a real messed up place. But we get to experience the fullness of the community and the image of God in a community of men and women. And, and so women in our presence, men, and men in your presence, women, makes the fullness of God even more complete, not because you're married, but because God created you male and female. And so teach your daughters that they don't have to have a man to be worthy and teach your sons that they don't have to have a woman to be a man instead teach your sons and daughters to be faithful to God teach your sons and daughters to honor God with their bodies teach your sons and daughters to know that their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit teach your sons and daughters to know that the relationship that all relationships spring from is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if they don't have that, the other relationships do not work. And I'm bold enough to say your marriage doesn't work without Jesus. It, it just doesn't. It does not. Guarantee it. Like, well, we stayed married. Yeah, maybe miserably. Maybe, but, but you need Jesus to hold it together. You need it. You need Christ in your relationship, in your dating, in your engagement, in your marriage, in your divorce life, in your widowed life, in your complicated lives. You need Jesus. And so let's honor singles and single people. Let's honor and respect married people. They have a different position and status in life right now than you do, and that's okay. But let's honor Jesus more than anything at all. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd say, Pastor, interesting message. I want to know what I do in these statuses as a Christian. How do I live out these relationships? We'll talk about that next week. But for now, I want to just drive home. Do you have relationship with Christ? Do you? He made you. You've sinned against him, just like me. He came, he lived a life that I could not live, a life free of sin. He died in your place, a death that you and I deserve to die. He took all the punishment from his father for my sins and for yours on himself on the cross. And as he hung on that cross and his people were spitting at him, mocking him, had just beaten him and were were literally betting for his clothing. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He offers forgiveness through his death. And as the wrath of the Father poured out upon his son, Jesus Christ, 
Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became forsaken so that we could become accepted. And all the wrath of the Father poured out on him. He died for us. He breathed his last breath, and he cried out, into your hands, Father, do I commit my spirit. And he was buried, and three days later, he arose. And through his resurrection, he proved that he was without sin. He proved that he was the perfect man. He proved his love for us. He proved his victory over Satan, sin, hell, and death. And so through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he offers you forgiveness of sins. He offers you the power of his spirit living inside of you. He offers you everlasting life. But the best thing of all that Jesus has to offer, more than everlasting life, is this. It's relationship with God. That's the best he has to give, and he gave it. Relationship with him. And so let us not obsess about the human relationships we're not in or the ones we want to be in, but let's obsess about our relationship with Christ and allow that to make us whole. So if you say, I don't know Jesus, but today I want to receive what he has. He calls us to receive his gift of grace by faith, just trusting in him. And that doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you've got your act together or life figured out or your relationships are all straightened up. It just means, man, Jesus, you're all I've got, and I'm just trusting in you today. When no one looking around, if that was you, say, today I am choosing Jesus. I, I don't have a relationship with him, but I, I want it today. You just raise your hand as high as you can just so I can acknowledge you and just put it right back down. Say, today I'm choosing Jesus. I'm choosing Christ. I want relationship with him. I want all my other relationships to be based on that. And if you're like, oh, I, I mean, I've already given my life to Jesus. We're in relationship. And then just let me encourage myself as I encourage you. Don't you know Anthony, don't I know that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our church is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, because we were bought with a price, let's you and I honor God with our bodies. And in doing so, let's honor him with our relationship. And let's ask ourselves how we can be faithful in the status we find ourselves in. So, God, we give this time to you. God, I pray against any condemnation, guilt, or shame. But I thank you for conviction, which draws us to closer relationship with you. Holy Spirit, lead us into a closer walk in relationship with you, not so that we can just simply abstain from sinful things, but so that we can receive all the things that you have for us. God, you don't take things away from us because you don't desire us to experience good. You ask us to give things up so you can give us something better. So God, whatever relationship someone's in right now, whatever, whatever sort of, of sinful activity uh, I or, or we may be involved in, God, may we offer it up freely to you, not with bitterness or with a hard heart, but offer that thing up to you so that we can receive better. We can receive something better, and that is, that is uninterrupted, intimate relationship with you. That's what we seek. That's what we want. So would you stand as we sing? And as we sing, we'll have some people up front to pray for you. If you'd say, man, this God's just doing something in my heart, and I'd like prayer today. We'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you and, and see what it is that God has in store for you. And not with condemnation or with shame, but just with great faith in what God can do in our lives and relationships. So God, bless this time in Jesus' name.